You know, a lot of people ask me, Matt, I want to be the next unicorn. How can I make sure that happens? How can I make sure that this company I've started achieves a $1 billion valuation? Well, guess what? One of the best things you can do is learn from others who have done it. So I spoke with Christian Owens. He's the CEO at Paddle. They do amazing stuff around the billing systems that SaaS use. Now, he shared exactly what he did when he got started, what he did in the early days, how his role has changed over time. He brings a lot of background and knowledge into what you are trying to do if you're trying to become a unicorn. So if that's what you're doing, if you're trying to scale your SaaS company, become big time, Christian has done it. Paddle is now a $1.4 billion valuation. He shares exactly what happened along the way so that you can learn and you can apply it too. Enjoy this. Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Yes, this is Sastery in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. By the way, if you're not subscribed to the show yet, make sure to hit that subscribe button now. That way you're not going to miss any of the cool stuff that we have for, coming for you every single week. So hit that subscribe button. And that way you're going to get leveled up every single time you hear the show. Now, today's going to be a lot of fun. I am joined by my special guest, Christian Owens. Christian, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. A little bit under the weather. So uh, hopefully I hit that mute button in time if I have to cough or wheeze. But uh, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't mess up our conversation. I'm, I'm really excited about chatting with you. And I want to make sure everybody knows who you are, Christian. So let me give them a little bit of a, a background on you. So Christian is the founder and CEO at Paddle. Paddle is a complete payments infrastructure provider for SaaS companies powering checkout, subscriptions, and tax compliance. I've run SaaS companies before, as many of you out there know, and that's that whole billing side is a very difficult thing to do, and sometimes it's it's a little too difficult for your dev team to manage really well, and it doesn't doesn't go well. That's a critical piece, so I'm excited to learn more about what they're doing at Paddle and how they're helping. But once again, Christian, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. So tell me what's going on with you lately and what's coming up. Yeah, so it's been a, it's a, been a busy first six months of the year. Um, we just did, we just made two big announcements. One, um, we raised our Series D. So we raised $200 million um, wow. at a $1.4 billion valuation, um, which was a great milestone. Um, and we acquired a company, um, which some, some of the listeners may be familiar with a company called ProfitWell. Oh, you acquired ProfitWell. Yes. In fact, uh, uh, you know, I've had Patrick on the show previously, so that's amazing. Awesome. Cool. Good for you. That's awesome. So, um, let, let's kind of dive. I want to touch on this journey because I think a lot of people out there who are SaaS founders, a lot of our audience want to follow a similar path, but Let's go back to the very beginning. Why did you start Paddle? What did you see that made you say, hey, this is an opportunity here? Yeah. So my background is, is a little unconventional. Um, so I, I started, I discovered a thing called the internet pretty young. Um, taught myself how to code and I was kind of building websites for people in the town that I grew up in. This is when I was like 13, 14. Um, and just fell in love with, with this thing called the internet. Um, and sort of through the process of like building websites for people in the town I grew up in, um, someone at some point asked me for like an invoice or something, um, sort of, even though these websites were obscenely cheap and I should have been charging much more. Someone still asked me for an invoice. 
Um, and that was kind of my first foray into like software and SaaS, which was when I was like 15, I Googled, I didn't even know what an invoice was. I Googled like how to make an invoice and like QuickBooks or something came up and it was like 10 bucks a month. And I was like, there's no way on earth I'm paying 10 bucks a month for that thing. I can build it. Um, so it's like the classic kind of anyone who's like even remotely been a little bit of an engineer has done that at some point in their life. So I started building invoicing software for freelancers at like 15, um, in my bedroom, obviously really cool, very social kid. Um, <laughs> um, but sort of started doing that. I dropped out of, um, high school at 16, um, as that business started to grow, scaled it to about three to four million an era um and in a pretty short period of time in about 18 months um wow so i basically ran headfirst into the problem that we now try and solve the power which is that was targeted at freelancers and small businesses it was less than 100 bucks a year for um this invoicing software and we had tens of thousands of customers in basically every country you can imagine um so we ran into this problem, which was we ended up, we were spending more time on, okay, like how do we collect payments from people? How do we deal with recurring billing? How do we pay taxes in all these different places? How do we do invoicing? How do we actually know how much money we made last month? Cause it's all coming in from different places. Spent more time doing that stuff and sort of like duct taping over problems and trying to buy tools to fix it. than we were on like the product anymore. Mm. Um, and sort of really just went, out in search of a, a, of something to buy. I was sort of like the perfect buyer for like kind of a product that didn't exist. Um, and I went in search for something like Paddle. Like I just wanted a thing that would just do it all for me. Um, and nothing really existed. It existed if I ran a restaurant, like or it existed if I ran like a sort of a salon or something. Like there were these all-in-one kind of products that you go and buy that would deal with payments and scheduling and invoicing and like billing and all of this stuff, but nothing for SaaS companies. Um, so after about six months of, of trying to debating it, like whether to build something myself, for our business or whether to kind of cobble stuff together from six or seven different platforms went out, I hired somebody to run that business. Um, my first mishire because that business no longer exists. Um, mm. and then, um, kind of moved to London and, and started paddle. I was about 18 at the time. At 18, you started it. That's incredible. Yes. Wow. That was, that so, was about nine, 10 years ago now. Holy cow. That's unbelievable. Starting a SaaS business at 18. Well, okay. So let's look at that. So you started at zero. Obviously now we talked about how you just got your series D and your unicorn valuation, but let's go back. So you started it. What, what were some of those first steps that you took that kind of helped you get set off on the right path? Yeah. So I moved to London because I was like, for some reason, I grew up like 150 miles outside of London. And for some reason, I was like, this can't be a real business unless you move to London um, and <laughs> a big city. Um, so I moved to London. We didn't raise any money initially. Um, sort of, I had some money from like the previous business, though kept most of like what that business was making in the business, but had a little bit of money to kind of move to London and, and, and start paddle. Um, and then kind of uh, the first steps that we took were I found a guy, um, he was an angel investor and we raised a little bit of money from him probably like six months in. And the goal of raising money wasn't because we needed capital. It was because 
I probably had this, I guess, like a bit of imposter syndrome, whereas like I've built a business, but I have ever built a company um, mm. sort of, and I was kind of making a big distinction between those two things in my head. So we raised 150K from him, um, probably didn't touch it for the next year, but like with the, the caveat that we could go and sit in his office, he bootstrapped a, a business to a couple of hundred people and sort of 20, 30 million in revenue. Um, but the, the deal was he could invest, but we would get to go and sit in his office. And then every time we had a question about something, like we'd never run payroll before or anything like that. So it was like, whenever we have a question about any of these things, you point us in the direction of the people in the office who deal with that stuff. We'll go bribe them with like chocolates or something. And sort of, they will kind of give us some advice on, on how to do the thing. And that was really kind of how, how we kind of first started the business and, and kind of built it into a company from day one. Cause I think that was the thing about Pablo as well. It's like, we'd, we, I built this business before, but I kind of knew that it was never going to be zero or QuickBooks scale. Um, so the goal with Paddle was like, I want to build a real business. I don't know how big it can be, but I think that it can be probably at least an order of magnitude bigger than that thing. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was very intentional uh, to begin with. Man, I love it. I think the lesson here is, first of all, when you take on investors, make sure that they're just more than money. That you're using mm. uh, them for their knowledge, their experience, their connections, their their know-how beyond just the dollars. It sounds like that worked out really well for you. Yeah, and it was like one of those things where there were, there's plenty of people who it's it's that kind of classic kind of like adage, which is sort of like ask for money, get advice, ask for advice, and get money type mm. of thing. And it was one of those things where there were plenty of people coming to us with advice, and it was sort of like. Him investing in Paddle, I feel like at the time was his way of justifying him giving it time. Um, was like if I share in some of the upside of this thing, like uh, then sort of it justifies me kind of putting in the extra effort to help these guys out. Um, and that was the most valuable thing that, that that we could have had at the time was somebody to kind of just help us see around corners a little bit in terms of like a bunch of the stupid mistakes that you make kind of upfront, whether it's to do with structuring things or hiring people or um kind of tax things or whatever it is kind of he helped us kind of see around those corners and not make some of the easy mistakes that, that we could have done yeah no kidding so uh you talked about some mistakes what are some of the early mistakes that you made that you wish oops wish we wouldn't have done that what, what would you have liked to avoid um i we probably went into building the first, so we started the business knowing the problem that we wanted to solve, but not necessarily how we were going to solve it. Um, and me being kind of an engineer, um, definitely not by training, but by kind of like falling into it and, and sort of enjoying it, kind of went through this process of like, the first step was just to build something rather than the first step being to talk to 50 people. And mm -hmm. sort of there were plenty, we knew exactly who we were building it for as well, which is the crazy part is like there were a bunch of SaaS companies who I could have, or just software companies in general, who I could have cold emailed the, the CEO or the CFO or kind of the founder or whatever. And just been like, if someone were to build this thing that I think needs to exist, um, because I've had this problem before, what should it look like? What should it do? What pains do you have? Because the only frame of reference that I had was my own. Um, and although a lot of things in companies are similar sort of things change a lot at different stages. Mm -hmm. um, so I was building with this one frame of reference and my frame of reference was, I kind of started a software company 
not by accident, but certainly didn't intend on it being like a three, $4 million business in 18 months. Um, I was like, I literally started selling the invoicing software because I didn't want to build the websites for people anymore. Um, it was like, this seems like a more fun way to make money than <laughs> transcribing another Italian restaurant menu or whatever it was I was doing. Mm. Um, so I think that like I jumped into building something, um, hired a couple of people, um, to sort of like, I sort of like outsourced like the, the kind of customer development biz dev piece kind of just, and took like a very much like build it and they will come approach and mm -hmm. spent six months building the first version of it basically on my own locked in a room. And then it came to like launching that first version. And our, like, as it turns out, 10 years later, our hypothesis was correct. Like SaaS companies and SaaS founders wanted a better way to, to sell their software and, and didn't want to have to deal with all this headache. The first iteration of Paddle, we built a marketplace. We built like the Amazon or the iTunes of like buying software. So it had like reviews and it had search and it had like listing pages and, and all of this stuff and sort of probably could have saved a good four or five months having just been like, because we had to build all the infrastructure to sell the software anyway, like in all the payments and recurring billing and taxes and all of that stuff. We also spent like another three or four months building this really elaborate marketplace with reviews and search and categorization and sort of detail pages and like all of this stuff on top of it as well. And five, six months after we launched that marketplace, we ended up just shutting down all of the marketplace stuff and just focusing on the infrastructure. Wow. It's kind of funny, but I, 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 some people, after they've put that work in, they don't feel like they want to shift away from it, even though it may be obvious. It may be something like you saw that we've got to focus on the other side. And uh, it probably was a difficult decision, but probably as you look back, the right one. Yeah, I think it was, I, it was one of the, I look back on it now and, and sort of all the signals sort of probably even earlier than the six months that we spent trying to make the marketplace work kind of all of the signals were like, it's not a marketplace that people want. It's some sort of infrastructure or some, some other way of doing this. And it was, it was like this stubbornness of wanting it to like this initial vision that you kind of have in your mind um, of how you think this thing should look five years from now. Um, it was like the limiting factor um, of us not kind of shutting that down earlier. But I think, We've always been, as a company, and it's still true today, just extremely pragmatic. Um, I think it's one of the things that we got really right in terms of the culture, which is sort of we have big vision and big goals and big ideas, but we're very pragmatic in the execution of which. And, and I think that that, sort of, that was sort of the genesis of that, like being willing to sort of like very much pivot the business from our original idea, but around the same hypothesis. Because ultimately, the goal was to solve the problem, not necessarily to build a certain solution. No kidding. And I'm, I bet you're glad that you did do that. But I want to yeah. ask you, so I'm guessing that a lot of the companies that you're selling to, especially since you're selling to SaaS companies, when they're looking at your product, they're probably deciding, should we buy this product or should we just build this ourselves? And a lot of SaaS yeah. companies go through that same kind of thought process. And that's something you went mm -hmm. through when you built the product. So how do you overcome that? How do you explain to them, listen, it's going to be a lot more efficient and better for you to, to go with the product instead of trying to build it? How do, you, how do you do that? Yeah, I think this has definitely evolved over the years in terms of like just the sophistication of that message. Um, it went from initially, it was like, this is all boring stuff that you don't want to do, to today, it's much more about kind of like 
we can do this much better than you can. Like we have nearly 400 people who are solely focused on solving this one problem. Um, wow. And, and this is one problem that is a fairly expansive problem, like within a business of like, how do you collect revenue and deal with taxes and all of this stuff. But it really comes down to like the core competencies that our customers want to have, like within their businesses. Like if you have a fixed amount of money, if you have say a couple hundred thousand dollars a year to spend on something, would you rather have sales reps or would you rather have engineers who are actually focusing on your product? Or would you rather have people who are basically solving the same problem as every other company is trying to solve at the same time? So the, the way that we position it today, and because it, 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 we do a lot of education through the, the sales process, is mm -hmm. our differentiating factor or the way that we think differently about the world and how these products should be built is, is kind of, and it's kind of happened in, in, in phases. It's sort of like phase one of SaaS was sort of these products for your manager. It was like Salesforce wasn't built for you as a sales rep. It was built for your manager to generate nice reports. And then phase two of SaaS was, we're going to build the tools for you to scratch your own itch. Like here's the WYSIWYG editor, here's the kind of the drag and drop, here's the whatever. Our bet is on phase three of SaaS is do it for you. Is sort of like, we're not going to give you the tools to better scratch the itch yourself or solve the problem. We're going to just going to solve the problem. Like we're going to get it completely out of the scope of what you do as a business. And I think when you say that to a lot of founders um, who are kind of struggling with how they prioritize or they know something isn't working, but they're not quite sure what the solution is, that, that really resonates as a concept. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think a lot of people would feel that to be very, uh, you know, beneficial going that way. So, uh, how big is your team now? What's this team size? Yeah, we're we're nearly four hundred. We're at three seventy. So uh, you went from you building this yes. to now three hundred seventy people. How has your your day to day as a leader changed over that time, Christian? Yeah, it's changed a lot. Hopefully, I've got better at being a leader, um, kind of through that as well. Um, I was very product focused, so I came in. I came into the office, sort of probably about three and a half years in, and realized that the engineering team had just locked me out of everything. And then, like Christian, like you cause more problems than you help solve. Like, go away. Um, <laughs> which I think is sort of like an important. I, I think the thing that I did well there was at least sort of foster a culture where people can tell me I'm wrong. Um, and I hopefully that's still true today. Um, I really see kind of my role today versus nearly 10 years ago. As 10 years ago, I was building the product. I was building the product that was responsible for the kind of direction of travel and, and sort of kind of selling where I could. And um, my co-founder Harrison was sort of more focused on the, on the kind of commercial side of the business. Today, I'm extremely focused on people, extremely focused on hiring. I see my job as make sure we have the right people, make sure we're capitalized and we have enough money um, and sort of overall set the direction of travel for us as a business. Um, I think sort of there is an overinvestment of time that I try and spend these days in just communication, communication, alignment. Does everybody know like what, what is important to us right now? What are the three or four key priorities that we have as a business? And are we actually, oftentimes I think kind of, and I think we got stuck here for a while, sort of you do really good at communicating the priority, but you don't necessarily give people the ability to then go and sort of um, have agency and how they go and like push towards that. Like everybody stands up at the all hands and they're like, great, I'm really clear. And then they go back to doing exactly what they were doing before. 
Mm. So like my goal becomes, yeah, do the all hands, make sure that's really clear. But how does that kind of cascade sort of through the different areas of the business? How does the team that's running product making sure that they're making the tough decisions about what we're not going to prioritize because this big goal that we have is the focus. Um, the same thing with the sales team. Like, how do we make sure that even if we have a customer who's willing to buy tomorrow, if they're not the right fit and it's going to cause us problems in six months' time, that we're saying no to that thing. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, you give someone a target or a goal, sort of if you want them to do something that's kind of counter that goal or in service of a bigger goal, ultimately, it's on you as the, the CEO to actually kind of make that call and make sure that sort of everybody feels comfortable in making that decision on their own. Yeah, I think that's awesome. It sounds like you do a great job of giving that autonomy, giving the decision making down so that they can do that, hire the right people and let them make the decision. It sounds like that's working great for you. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's one of these things that you experience as growing pains. Like I think kind of when you're 15 people and everybody can kind of go to dinner together or sit around the same table, like there's all of this stuff that you just take completely for granted at that stage. Um, mm-hmm. Like, all of these conversations that don't need to happen because by default, everybody's in every conversation. Everybody knows exactly what's going on in real time. They have like a stream of consciousness from you. Um, mm. So everybody kind of course corrects immediately um, versus sort of when you get much bigger, it's about, I think, setting direction and then pushing the decisions as close to the people who have to actually do the work as possible rather than me sort of top a kind of pyramid of, of 400 people making a call that maybe may be correct. Most of the time is probably wrong because I don't have enough context to make the decision. Mm, I totally agree. And I, I would guess that your motivation has changed over the, that time. I mean, early days, you're trying to get this product out there. You're trying mm-hmm. to, like you said, with a small team, I've gone through the same growing pattern from zero to about 400 employees with another company. And you, 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 you have a different sense of you know, what you're trying to accomplish and that sense of team in that small 10, 15 people, person team versus 300 yeah. or so. How, how has, how has that changed for you, your motivation and, and what you're focused on achieving? Yeah, there was, a, there was an interesting, I don't know exactly when it happened, but there's, I feel like there's an interesting moment in a company's life cycle where you don't necessarily notice the moment. Like it, it's not like a switch. Like, but you, you kind of wake up one day and you look back and you realize the thing that you're not worried about, you're worried about now is not like, is the business going to survive, but are we going to actually maximize our full potential? Like, Mm -hmm. and there's this like very deliberate kind of thing that happens where for the first like four or five years of business, it was waking up every day and being like, okay, we need to grow because sort of, sort of like otherwise we don't survive like we Mm -hmm. we don't have enough money we don't make payroll like whatever it is and then at some point in the latter five years it's been like okay this stuff really works like the business isn't going anywhere tomorrow like we have thousands of customers who are really happy we have low churn we have high net revenue retention we have all of these things like how do we not squander this opportunity to create something really really big and create a really really big meaningful business that that kind of we delight our customers and everybody loves using the product and all of these things. So my motivation kind of in the early days was how do I make this thing kind of viable? And now it's sort of, how do I make this sort of as big and as, as great a company that I know that it can be. Um, so that, that's been the, the kind of noticeable shift in motivation. 
Yeah, I can definitely feel that. I've I, I felt the same thing. So that's well said. What would you say to other SaaS founders who are maybe just starting out? What advice would you have for them? I think the easiest, like the probably the 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 easiest thing that we could have done that probably would mean that we are because all of this stuff compounds. So the decisions that you make in the first like two years of the business, they they feel like they have like little impact, but actually if you can make what is a two, three year process be a one year process, um, like it actually makes a big difference when you're in year nine or 10. Um, so uh, for me, I think those things would have been like, like we're at the stage now where like we need to go quickly. I think in the beginning, we were trying to do everything really, really quickly. But as a result, we were doing a lot of things wrong. Like we were spending a lot of calories in sort of different directions, kind of just like pointing at the shiny new thing, uh, kind of every time something kind of happened. And I think the like going slow to go fast in the first like 12, 18 months really would have helped us. Instead of just diving in on building the product, spend literally two weeks going and talking to 50 people and refining the idea of what the product should be. Um, all of these different things sort of like where just more validation, more thinking kind of could have helped us rather than the approach of like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. There's definitely a, a time for that. But I think more validation and just being like really comfortable that you think that if you go and build this thing or, or create this product, you're going to have 25 customers that are going to pay for it like immediately and kind of doing that pre-validation that would have saved so much time, but also so much stress because there's nothing worse than spending six, nine months building a thing, launching it and then getting two customers and then every one of them being like a street fight to get the next mm -hmm. one versus mm -hmm. actually knowing that you can go and get 10 or 15 or 20. And then when you want to make future decisions, you have a large enough sample size of existing customers to actually just go and test those with 25 or 50 people immediately rather than everything being a process of kind of reinventing the wheel of, of discovery and, and everything like that. So I think that's the big thing that if I was starting another company tomorrow, I would dedicate two or three weeks up front to just meeting with as many people who I think have the problem that I'm trying to solve as possible and just sit there and be a sponge and kind of take it all in and then go and make my decisions afterwards and go into that really, really open-minded. I think that's fantastic advice. I've always advocated for talking with your market, getting with people who are actually having the problem you're trying to solve. It it makes it so much easier to develop the product, to align your marketing messaging, to make sure your sales process fits for them. It's just, it lines everything up so well. So I think that's really incredible advice. And I'm, I'm really sad that we've come to the end of our time. You've shared so much amazing stuff about how you made Paddle into you know, the, the, the beast that it is today. Really, you guys are just doing awesome. I'm super, super happy for you, Christian. I want to know, how can our audience learn more about you and Paddle? Yeah, so Paddle is just paddle.com. We have the domain name. That was the first thing nice. that we did at Paddle. Um, I'm on Twitter, at, uh, Christian B. Owens. Um, and my email address is just Christian at paddle.com. So if you have any questions about anything unless you want me to go deeper, I'm more than happy to spend as much time as people want going deeper on this stuff. Okay, perfect. Well, that's been awesome. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Matt. 
You're welcome. And everybody out there, thank you for coming. Thanks for watching on YouTube. Thanks for listening on the social or the uh, podcast channels. I really hope you got a lot out of this. Make sure you're subscribed to the show and also give us a rating. If you like it, go ahead and throw a rating on there. That helps me understand we're giving you the best possible content. So thanks for coming and we will see you next time. Take care.